Welcome to Business Talk Sister Guck. I'm Becca. And I'm Ruthie. And today's episode title is Inventing a Product and Preparing for Launch. Boop, boop. And my stomach feels a little sloshy because <laughs> I just, just pounded a whole bunch of salsa and chips. Okay, thanks for sharing. <laughs> Anyways, all right. So in this episode, we are starting a series on something we've been researching for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, we have been running our own businesses for quite some time, but we have never done a product-based business. And we wanted to know how it worked and um, try something new because we both work in service-based businesses. And so when we thought about doing a product, that's a totally new concept. And going through those phases are completely different. So we wanted to know how does this work? How can we do it? And, and what can we learn throughout the process? And then what, how can we teach that to other people? That was kind of our goal throughout all of it. It was like, if we can learn this, we'd be able to teach it. So, yeah. And we want other people who have great ideas to be able to do that with their ideas. So here we go. <laughs> What's your first question? Step number one was what? Okay. So we had to pick a product to invent right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not just talking about like, oh, we're going to copy everybody else and do something. This was like a new thing. What is nobody else doing? Or how can we solve a problem? And I actually picked something um, that I actually invented because I was having a problem myself um, where people would leave the sponge on the counter um, when I was with roommates or whatever, and it would get water all over the counter. And I thought, wow, this is really annoying. I wonder if there's a way that I can dry out the sponge and not have it um, get everywhere and have a place to store it. And at the time, I was taking a pottery class and I thought, I wonder if I can build something that's like holds it and drains into the sink so that it can stay dry. So I did that, um, I was probably over five years ago now. Mm -hmm. Probably more like six now, I think. Yeah, yeah. So um, that was kind of, and I had always wanted to um, get another one of those. Well, in the last year I did because I finally broke it. (laughs) And I was like, man, I really need another one of these. And I thought, well, if we're going to teach people how to do this, why don't we just use this as our product? Because I want another one anyways. And so um, the first thing I did was start thinking about what, how would I even go about developing something that I have lots of if I don't have like a kiln at my house. And here's the other thing. I'm also really passionate about art and handmade things, especially um, from people who want to do that as a living. And so I didn't want to just go talk to somebody who could make it out of plastic. And I knew that plastic wasn't going to work anyways because it needs the weight to be able to hold your soap wands and sponges inside uh, because there's no other products that were doing that at the time. So... I decided I was going to go with the pottery route of handmade ceramics and actually thrown on a wheel. So here's the big thing. There's a difference between um, a cast molded piece of ceramic, which would be your regular traditional coffee mug that you get that has like somebody's logo on it or whatever. Those things they can spit out super fast because all they're doing is throwing um, a, a slurry 
mixture into a mold of a mug and then baking those and popping them right out. Whereas if you're a handmade artesian, you're throwing things on a wheel and you're pulling the clay and you're working with it and all those things. So there's an art to it. And I, I wanted to appreciate that and honor that aspect of um, handmade things. So I knew that it was going to be a more expensive product to begin with. Mm-hmm. Because that's really labor intensive. Mm-hmm. But that's the, there's, I do believe there's a market for that because those are things that I appreciate. And so what does that look like in terms of finding those people? Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the first step of deciding on the product. Mm-hmm. And then at this point, like Becca was saying, she doesn't have a kiln. So then it was kind of like, okay, how do we find someone to manufacture these? And do we need to get patents? So talk to us a little bit about what you did in that progression. Yeah. So, I mean, everyone always says, don't talk about your idea to anybody until you have it patented, right? Well, I I talked to my patent lawyer and I said, hey. Which we did an episode with. He's super cool. I can't remember which one, which episode, but. Yes, we did. Episode 55. What is intellectual property? And so we got to ask him some great questions about our product um, during that time as well as before that when I was connecting with him. So um, when we were asking about this, I said, okay, so this is what I want to do. And the biggest thing he had for me was, well, pottery's been around for over 3,000 years, like essentially that we can date from archaeology and all this stuff. So and because it's an artesian product, it doesn't matter how um, you patent it. If somebody just changes the color, the glaze, the size, the whatever, the height, um, it's a completely new product. And so it's really hard to actually file a patent on. And because it's really easy to reverse engineer. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different things involved in that. And he just advised me that it probably wasn't going to be worth um, going after in that regard. And I started thinking about it. And on top of that, I'm like, well, we're doing this as a case study. So if other people were like, this is really a great product and I want to start making it. Um, first of all, you should tell us because that'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> and second of all, um, we were going to experiment with it anyway. So if we lost money on it, it's okay. We're going to figure it out. If, if we made money on it, we'll be excited right Mm -hmm. so um so i think that's important though because we weren't like let's sink all of our money into this it's going to be really huge we were just like let's play around with it and becca in like in most things in life is very much like how do we do this for free or as little cost as as possible so like every step of the way she was like okay what can we do to save on packaging or whatever and we can get into that but like this that was kind of from the start was like we don't want this to be a super cost intensive endeavor right and i think that that's a huge thing that inventors really struggle with is they're like well first of all they don't want to tell their idea to anybody and that i really do think you need to talk to other people because there's so many times where someone's like look at what i invented and i'm like that's great you understand the basics of physics but if you talk to someone who's in physics, they're like, yeah, that idea was already invented like 80 years ago. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, okay, well, there's no point in pursuing that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to be able to understand how to leverage the right people that you can trust to get information from. Mm-hmm. And and so one of the things that I did at the very beginning was I did talk to some people that do sell a lot of products uh, through Amazon and, and uh, boutiques or whatever else. And I said, hey, like, I'm looking to do this and it's a ceramic product, what are you thinking? And they said, well, honestly, most people who do a lot of shipping never dabble in ceramics and glass because it's too high risk. Mm 
Um, there's a lot of breakage. There's a lot of issues with returns. It's so much to manage that most people don't choose that category. And because it's a little heavier, you have some weight issues. So anytime you're looking at doing fulfilled by Amazon, there's specific weight categories. And if you go over a certain ounceage, you're in a new category and you have to pay so many more fees for shipping and storage and everything else. So try to get your product down to a pound or less, including packaging. And then you need to take it in its packaging and drop it on two sides and a corner. And if it can survive that, then you have good packaging. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not familiar with what Amazon, um, what did you say? Amazon? FBA, sorry. Yeah. It, so we did a couple episodes about that. Um, episode 50 and episode 49 about like print on demand and drop shipping. And Amazon kind of does like fulfill by Amazon. So um, yeah. It's Amazon like takes your product and houses it um, at their warehouse and ships it out from there. Yeah. Also, side note on that, if you ever choose to do that, there's like a whole nother like aspect of where your business is operating out of because wherever you store your product, there's a whole bunch of like tax implications to that. Mm -hmm. So keep that in mind. (laughs) So I didn't want to deal with that at first and I didn't want to go into warehousing versus like, I'm just going to fulfill it myself because I know that I have control over the shipping process. And um, I want to make sure that it's something where customers feel like they're really getting a premium product and they're getting something special. Yeah. And it just looks prettier. (laughs) Yeah. You know, when you, when you can do it yourself, it looks like hand loved. Mm -hmm. So I had the time for it. So I figured, well, let's do it because it's part of our research project. So after I I got those things into perspective of how much it need to weigh, I did a lot of um, prototype um, different variations. So I talked with um, a few people in the pottery community and I looked for somebody which who's... is a very tight-knit group honestly yeah <laughs> I like okay if you guys ever do any kind of art shows or any kind of um, craft circles whatever you would be surprised how connected people are if you want to learn a skill mm-hmm. they're super excited about preserving those arts mm-hmm. and, and I they want to help you like they're like oh they get so excited and they they understand like the the daily grind and like want to help out the little guy yeah and but also like I would say that in the Midwest from what I've seen and talked to a lot of people if you want to do that as a full-time job I would say estimate that you're probably not going to make more than $60,000 a year maximum right if you're doing shows consistently and doing your Saturdays at different places all that kind of stuff so I mean it it might not be a good fit for everybody but if you really want to do that full-time you either need to have like an amazing process as well as like online sales and all this other stuff um or you're going to be spending a lot of time on the road um in in that circuit of people but you know what because they hang out at craft shows all day or they hang out at these different events they network with one another and that's valuable super valuable because you can learn so many things about how to do your business better from those people Mm -hmm. and so um Anyways, we we learned a lot about that. We learned about, okay, we shouldn't be expecting too much here or this is where we can drive down costs. And um, as we talked with a few different people who do pottery, um, there was somebody that said, hey, um, I do that a lot and I have done a lot of pottery, but I knew that I don't have the 
the location and I don't have the ability to do that at my house right now <laughs> or I don't have another location to do it at. So it's just going to be better for both of us if I can have someone else help me with my design. So we worked through some prototypes and we talked about um, how much it needed to weigh. And the thing about um, clay actually is that it shrinks a considerable amount um, in every stage of the process. So the first bisque, it, um, it basically absorbs or takes out a lot of moisture, shrinks probably like 15%. And the next time after you glaze it and you put it back in, it shrinks again, it's like seven to 8%. So you have to measure from the beginning, like all these math calculations to make sure what you're getting at the end is exactly what you want. Um, so there was a lot of stuff that went into making sure that what I had as an end result was what um, we were getting when we started talking about throwing and sizing and all of that. So, and that was probably a little bit more than most people wanted to know <laughs> about, <laughs> interesting. about clay. So, and then also too, like one thing I think a lot of people do right away that can kind of bite you in the butt is that like they try to do a whole bunch of different variations and colors and styles and things like that. And we just decided to go with some pretty basic like we started with four colors to start mm -hmm. and then like that's kind of what we've had as our staple um and they're beautiful like they're really fun and i i really am a big fan of practical art <laughs> i don't like knickknacky things like there's some people that really enjoy that i don't i just think it looks like clutter and i'm like oh that has to be able to do something to be yeah. a piece of art in my house mm -hmm. <laughs> like yeah. a bowl yeah <laughs> or, yeah i get you i i don't i don't mind like wall art and things like that but i don't really like knickknacky stuff yeah, so, um, and I want to talk a little bit about the the color options too for variations because I think this was actually something that is really important to think about, um, especially in consumer good products. Like if you're talking about food or whatever, packaging is so important and what you choose as your staples could make or break your product. If people think that's an ugly color, they're not going to buy it. I mean, you see it on the clearance section all the time, right? And so uh, one of the things that I did was I started looking a lot into style trends for interior design for our color selection. So I knew there's some colors that do really well in certain areas of the United States. And then there's also trending colors and um, all this different stuff. So right now, and, and you'll notice that trends also will do very well certain places um, sooner than older trends. So I picked teal because uh, as the main color for one for one of them because um, teal consistently does well because of the color that that uh, teal rock is um, does very well in ocean states uh, mm. because a lot of people uh, have beach houses and they have like or a beachy feel to their house and teal consistently shows up as a color that reminds people of the ocean mm -hmm. and so it really is a pop color that um hasn't really gone out of style consistently for i don't know like the last 50 years hmm. so that was one that i knew regardless it's going to be fine um and then i picked a white a solid white um which we actually have on our website i don't think we have it on etsy um but i did that one because that one does really well in the Midwest because anything that is really popular on the East and West Coast um, slowly moves to the Midwest, maybe like two or three years later, and is still popular. So um, when Magnolia Farms was really huge in Target or like even before that, people were really into the whites and um, that white glaze. And so um, we do a lot of that in the Midwest consistently because people are still in that trend stage for their houses and um, it matches with a lot of stuff. 
And then um, I, I did navy because honestly, like blue, the darker blue is a little bit more masculine. So it can be um, in a house that has lots of people and it's not, or somebody like shares a kitchen and says, I don't want this teal color. Cause my husband was like, we're not having a teal in our house. Mm. <laughs> but a dark blue is more of a compromise, right? Um, but then I also picked bronze. And the reason I picked bronze as the fourth color is because um, there's a lot of unglazed pots in trends right now for succulents and stuff like that. And I wanted to kind of match those color schemes of that um, natural um, clay look um, because those are doing really well in New York, Pennsylvania, Colorado, and uh, California right now. And so um, I basically picked colors based on different parts of um, the United States, and then also based on who my demographics uh, would potentially be to look at my products. So that's kind of how we went with the colors that we did. And for some of you, that was really helpful. For some of you, it was not at all. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's important to understand your audience Mm -hmm. and um, identifying the people that are going to want this. Like Ruthie talked about, I like things that are practical and um, beautiful. And I think this is a practical, beautiful product. But I also want to target people that appreciate art and appreciate um, something that's handmade. So that's why um, I knew that our price point would be different than something that you would get at, say, Walmart um, in, in the bathroom section or whatever. So those are, those are the different phases that we've gone through so far. So tell me what you want to know next, Ruthie. Yeah. So what did you do to prepare for launch? And also like how many um, units did you order for your initial like test? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So because I'm really cheap, I want to make sure (laughs) that I did this well. Um, And and because I don't want to keep going back and having issues. So I started with 150 units. Um, I started with the three colors. I added the white later. So teal, navy, and bronze. And then um, as we were looking at those um i also decided okay before i go do this i actually got into an entrepreneurial facebook group that i've been in for a long time and um i have been seriously i've been in there for a couple years women helping women entrepreneurs yeah it's a facebook group that's really good and it's very active and there's a lot of different conversations that go on there that are very fruitful yeah um they can be sometimes there's sometimes they are not (laughs) or whatever but whatever it's fine if you want to grow your instagram followers ask me how i grew mine from fifty thousand. okay yeah there's a lot of that (laughs) so much but there actually are a lot of people in there that are genuine business owners that honestly just do not have the time for social media but they're just in there to see what's going on Mm -hmm. and i would say that i probably fall in that category a lot of times but um one thing i noticed is that when people develop a product and they're super excited about it and they share it and they're like why is this not selling one of the biggest things that people just like immediately attack and say this is your problem is their product photos and um if you have bad product photos people are like that's your main problem like i'd never buy that based on the picture and so i knew that um now there's a big difference between a backgroundless photo which is like required for places like amazon or it can help your sales on ebay and ebay has like an app that helps you do that mm-hmm. um but lifestyle photos can people visualize this in their home mm-hmm. and um that was where I said, okay, before I even go out and say, hey, like I have this really cool product, I need to make sure 
it is staged well so that people can imagine what it would look like in their house. And I was so thankful that I had a lot of like friends and family that said, you can take pictures at my house with your product. And she'd go there and clean off their little sink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then take pictures with it. And people love when you clean their sink. Dun, dun. Yeah. So um, that was something that I wanted to make sure I had really good photos to use for my listing as well as like introducing my product to ask for different advice because I knew that was already something I needed and I didn't want to waste people's time asking that question. And then the other thing I did was I really, really worked on the packaging for the single products mm-hmm. um which i think we're going to get into in the next episode we'll talk about packaging and things like that and kind of how um we continued to actually take that into the marketplace and starting to sell on etsy and we'll we'll get into that next episode um but we're going to transition to the sister rock portion of our episode and <laughs> I don't know why. I think I was just feeling very nostalgic last week. And so I was thinking a lot about when I was little and different like pretend things because I found that I'm not very good at having fun when people are like, (laughs) what do you want to do? And like, we could we could clean your whole bathroom and (laughs) all the baseboards in your whole house. And they're like, are you? are you serious? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, and I think that's really fun. Um, Other people, not so much. Yeah. So yeah. I, but I was trying to think back to when I used to just carefree have fun and <laughs> it wasn't dual purpose work. Um, and uh, so I was thinking about how when I was little, my sister, Rachel and I, we call her Roth. Um, we would, uh, <laughs> it was just like, okay, so basically we used to pretend like we could read each other's minds <laughs> and then we would tell other people we could read each other's minds and then but and the other person would be like yeah but yeah. It, we actually had memorized a list of like seven things oh. <laughs> and so then we would say we'd say yeah we well, can read each other's minds and then i would whisper over i'm gonna say this and then we'd have that person count down and then we would say the same word at the same time. And then we'd say, okay, well, like that could have been just coincidence or like whatever. Let's try it again. And then we would just like keep going and going and just blow people's minds. It was it was less impressive than it sounds. I know you're like, whoa, how did you do that? <laughs> but, so basically you just like pranked everyone oh, with yeah. your memorized scripts. Yeah. Seven items that we, I think it was like stoplight, waffle, red line, I don't know. It kind of sounds like, you know, on, um, on, uh, I can't remember, Winter Soldier, you know, when he like reads that activation code list, (laughs) he like turns into a crazy guy. (laughs) That's kind of what it sounds like. I was thinking like Mr. Bean or something where he Mm. just like says random things. No, it's definitely an activation code. Anyways, but so that was just something I was thinking about. Just a couple of dorks sitting in the back of the car like, ooh, say this. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us this week. Uh, Next week, we're going to be obviously following up on that. And so I'm not going to spoil any of it for you, but you should definitely tune in if you're ever thinking about um, launching a product because the shipping part is a whole lot of stuff. Yeah. And if you have questions about this process at all, the the whole like heart behind us launching this was to learn it so well that we can teach it to other people. So if you have any questions, go ahead and reach out to us on Instagram, business talk, sister gawk. Um, all with, underscored between the words. Yeah. Not spaces, underscores, which in hindsight was a poor choice, but you know what? Rip. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Hashtag no regrets. <laughs> all, right, all right. We'll see you next week.